The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on her career. Joining us for Career Day is a marketing creative innovator. Amy Balliette is the founder and CEO of Killer Visual Strategies, which is an industry-leading visual communication agency that designs and executes communication and content marketing solutions across a diverse array of media, including infographics, motion graphics, augmented reality, and interactive experiences. Amy has spoken at more than 175 conferences around the globe, including South by Southwest, Adobe Max, and SMX Advanced. And she's also the author of the newly published book, Killer Visual Strategies, which is available on Amazon. And we're honored to have Amy here as our guest today to hear a little bit about her career. All right, here's my conversation with Amy Balliette, the co-founder and CEO of Killer Visual Strategies. Amy, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. How exciting to have you on the podcast. I've seen you around the speaking circuit. We talked a little bit before about our businesses and how we overlap a little bit. I'm very interested to hear about creative development, but today is about something that we both love, you. Let's talk a little bit about your career starting off. Hey, how'd you get into marketing? I got into marketing because my dad made me. That's kind of the best way to put it. My dad said to me when I decided to go to film school, I don't mind if you're going to film school, but you better have a minor that you can fall back on because you're not going to move to Hollywood and become a big director. (laughs) And he didn't say it as harshly as that, but he wanted me to think realistically. So I minored in marketing because I really loved everything about marketing, but I also loved visual storytelling more, which is why I went to film school. So when I moved from Cleveland to Seattle, my first job was in the world of video marketing. So I learned a little bit of both at that point in time and kind of grew my career over time by jumping into a lot of odd roles and learning more about marketing as I went. I think that the headline here is artist at heart. Your educational background was in film and you decided to get a BFA in video production. So you specialized, but you wanted to do something that was practical. 
Now, I get it. Your dad said, hey, go figure out how to get a real job. So you decided to start studying marketing. But I'm guessing some of that also came out of your desire to have something practical to lean on when you were starting your career. When you're making the transition from the tortured artist college days to, okay, I have to pay the bills, how did you position yourself? How did you think about blending the video production, the creative side, and then what you had to do to actually make some money? You know, it was interesting. At first, I didn't feel like I was qualified for any real marketing job. And I really wasn't at the beginning. I mean, I graduated college in 2004. So we weren't really in a world yet where digital marketing was that big of a thing. We weren't in a world where content was truly king yet because the internet was still evolving in so many ways. So I still kind of focused a lot more on film for my first few years out of college. And what ended up happening, what really threw me into marketing more than anything else was attempting a startup that really just royally failed. I tried to start a social network before Facebook was a thing. I saw people leaving MySpace and thought to myself, man, there's an opportunity for artists to have a social network where they can really present their work in more valuable ways. At the time, DeviantArt was the only artist social network that existed, and it didn't really have all of the right tools for an artist to market themselves properly. So my cousin and I started a social network called Artbeat, but it was spelled O-U-R-T-B-E-A-T because, you know, that was the domain we could get. And I had the idea, but I didn't have anything else. I had the idea. My cousin had all of the savvy, all of the ability to code. He was an amazing designer as well. So I needed to bring something to the table. So I started learning SEO at that time, and that was in 2006, 2007. And that is where I really started falling into marketing and kind of a little bit lied to get my first marketing job. Not going to (laughs) lie. Well, lied then, but not going to lie now. I do want to hear the story about the lies we tell. (laughs) But look, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. I'm not saying you should lie on your resume or anything like that, but you got to put yourself in a way that you'll shine. I want to hear a little bit before we get into that story about what you learned and how you learned SEO while you were launching your social network. Were you just, you know, reading the blogs? Do you do any training? Were you just figuring it out and experimenting yourself? Talk to me about the process of self-learning a skill like SEO. I literally bought the book SEO for Dummies and read it end to end. I bought internet marketing for dummies back in the day. Yeah, it's true. I remember reading about meta tags for the first time and thinking, oh my gosh, this is the end all be all. We can do a keyword meta tag and a description meta tag and a title meta tag. And that's all we need, which was just ridiculous. Such a kind of novice view of things. But then I started getting coached from bloggers really, because I started looking for ways to do link building. I started doing comment spamming, not realizing that that's what I was doing and just trying to throw links into every comment I would post until finally a blogger reached out to me and said, you are a spammer. You're not a marketer. You really need to read the following. And he sent me to all of these different websites where I started pulling a great deal of information and really learning what I was doing. But it was all kind of trial by fire is the best way to think about it. And it was a good six to nine months of just trying different tactics and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't. But ultimately, I knew that it was going to be something that I wouldn't be able to just learn in theory. I had to learn in practice. That's a really nice thing for someone to do. 
is actually point out when you're not providing value and trying to help you to do that, which is honestly, now that I think about it, you know, we get spam on some of the social media posts we do to promote the MarTech podcast content and some of the other work. I really should do that. Be like, hey, here is how to avoid being spammy. I want to create that blog post and start sharing it. It's also great that you are open to actually taking in the feedback. So you start learning SEO, you're guided based on, you know, negative and positive feedback that you're getting. You get a little marketing chops. You said you kind of had to fake it till you make it to get your first real marketing job. What happened with the social network? I think we all know. And what was the first job you got? How'd you land it? So the social network never took off. We were going to launch 777. And, you know, there are a bazillion reasons it didn't take off. One of the biggest was the biggest talent in that startup was my cousin. It was the two of us working and all of the work was really on his plate to build the product. This was a product that should have been built by hundreds of developers, not one. So it definitely failed, but we were fine with it. We learned a lot from each other. And I learned that I needed to learn code. I need to learn more graphic design than I knew at the time because I didn't want to just be an idea person. I wanted to be somebody who had an idea and could bring that idea to fruition. So in July of 2007, when we both admitted to ourselves, this has failed and we're not going to be launching this, I started looking for a new job. I was a video editor at the time. I knew I wanted to completely transition into SEO. And I started applying for one SEO manager position after another. And some of the interviews, they could kind of sniff out that I knew the right buzzwords, but I hadn't ever really run an SEO campaign. And then I managed to, like you said, fake it till I make it, get in front of a marketer who kind of loved that I had some rough edges, that that whole team could help mold me into a better marketer and into a better search engine optimizer. So I showed them what I did with Artbeat. But when they asked me about my history and things like that, I very vaguely would answer. I said, oh, I've been doing one form of marketing or another for years, which was true, but it wasn't online marketing yet. So those were kind of those little white lies that you tell to present yourself really well in an interview that luckily did not shoot myself in the foot going forward. It's such a nuanced thing to do where someone asks you an interview question and you want to put yourself in the best light possible, but you also want to be truthful and accurate. Hey, how long have you been marketing? Well, I've been marketing you know, myself for years, ever since I got out of college. Yeah, but your resume reads like you were a video production specialist. Well, video is marketing, isn't it? Right. There's a little nuance there. I'm sure you're stretching the truth a little as well. All right. So you duped the fine folks at Sesame Communications into being their SEO manager. It also says SMS on your LinkedIn profile here. What were the roles, responsibilities? What did you learn in the early days of being an SEO? Sesame is where I really cut my teeth. I really lucked out there. I had a team that was so excited to have me. We were all learning as we were going. It was a scrappy startup. And that team, it was a team of web developers. And they came to me and taught me web dev, which was amazing. I learned all the code I could possibly learn from an amazing set of developers. And I knew enough to be dangerous. I just was continuing to kind of grow as I went. With Sesame, we are focused on local SEO. I think it's a lot easier to learn local SEO before you learn national SEO and global campaigns. So I was able to really practice new tactics with local SEO. 
And I got a lot of wins. In the first year that I was working there, I created a new product offering that was all surrounding local optimization of these dental and orthodontic sites and sold quite a lot of it because I was incentivized to do some sales as well and really got to a point where I knew my stuff, but it was all because we were an open and candid team. And so we were able to teach each other as we went. And I was really lucky for that. The irony to me is you're at Sesame for a relatively short period of time, nine months. And you're there. It's your first SEO job. And what do you take out of it? I learned to code. All right. That sounds logical. The video editor who comes in to be an SEO and walks out being essentially a developer. Cool. So you move on and you continue down the SEO path from entry-level SEO to managerial SEO. And then I hate to say it, there's very little ways to go. Maybe you can be a VP of SEO, but those jobs are kind of rare to get. Sorry, SEOs out there listening to this podcast. Talk to me about your continuing focus on SEO. What'd you do in your second role? So my second role was at All Star. Again, a phenomenal team. What was really interesting about All Star was the fact that organic traffic drove at least 80% of the revenue for the company. So it was a really important group to be a part of. And that was where I learned all things marketing. I was able to come in with my SEO knowledge and with my code knowledge and re-optimize all the sites to a place where they were really where they needed to be. My SEO belief has always been and will always continue to be Google is in the business of delivering a great service to the end audience. So if you focus on delivering a great website that serves the end audience, Google will reward you. And yeah, there's a bunch of tactics that you have to do as a part of it. But ultimately, if you're not spamming your audience, if you're writing good thought leadership content with a good keyword focus, if you're building your external link profile and so on, you're going to see success. And so I focused on white hat best practices. And then I focused on building a number of smaller websites to drive more traffic to the larger sites. So really kind of a hub and spoke approach. But it was there that I had some utterly amazing marketers to work with. And I really learned how to dive into analytics and let data drive my decisions. I learned how to really develop a good content marketing plan and strategy because I had people, again, willing to work with me and help me grow. And with All Star, when I went to work there, I was honestly just much more savvy when it comes to SEO, but I was also much more open with them. I wasn't trying to land my first job in SEO. I was trying to level up my job. And so I let them know, you know, I've been doing this for a company for only nine months, but every question they asked me, I had the right answer because SEO is something that if you kind of fall into it or any type of marketing, if you have that passion for it, if you have the kind of creative concepting ability to really build a content model, then you can succeed. So for me, I just realized it was exactly where my passion was and I had a lot that I could offer. So you're at an inflection point here, right? You start off saying, hey, I'm an artist. I'm going to be a video creator I want to direct in Hollywood. Your dad says no. I know I'm paraphrasing and <laughs> kind of embellishing a little. You get into this career path of marketing. You start to become an SEO. You've learned some development skills. You've learned some data and analytics skills. You're in a good place to be a marketer 
Where are you in the rest of your life at this point? Are you happy and content going down the marketing path or is something else going on? You know, I was very happy going down the marketing path and I was very happy at All Star. It was a great place to work. They treated their employees amazingly. I really didn't have any issues with where I was. I honestly just had a previous business partner, co-founder who worked at All Star as well and came to my desk every single day asking me to start a company with him. And after six months of that, I finally gave in and said, okay, I'll, I'll look into this with you and see if it's of interest to me. All right. So you have a buddy at work who's like, hey, we're the best people here. Let's go do something on the side. And you're like, no, everybody here is really smart. But eventually he breaks you down. He talks you into it mm-hmm. and you start working on your own project. What was the project and what were you doing? So we launched in February of 09. The project was kind of a take on the all-star directories model. The entire model was lead generation, education lead generation, where different for-profit colleges and universities would pay All-Star for potential students asking for more information about that college or university. So we saw that model and realized that the lead generation space is kind of ripe for growth. So what we ended up doing was launching a bunch of websites, none of which were in the education space because we had a non-compete. But we launched websites that were affiliate-based and lead gen-based. So we had sites like nannyinseattle.com and nannyinchicago.com that were all affiliates with care.com. Or we had senior care websites that were affiliates with seniorhomes.com. Or our biggest site that was really succeeding was ZippyCart. And that was a site that had e-commerce software solutions where we were affiliates with Big Commerce and Shopify and Pinnacle Cart and Magento and all of those big e-commerce solutions that were out there at the time. And the site was just a site where we really built up a following. We built up an expertise in the area and we started reviewing those different e-commerce solutions and creating a ranking for them. And we actually, for a while, became the industry standard where people trusted the Zippy Cart rankings above anything else that was out there because nobody else was really doing that at the time. So my job was to build the site, design, build, and optimize. And my business partner's job was to build the affiliate partnerships, to write content. We, of course, shared the bulk of writing content for the sites and to do all the biz dev for the company. So it worked out really well. We were doing it in our evenings and weekends. And then we were finally making a whopping $4,000 a month off of Zippy Cart and said, okay, this is enough for us to justify quitting our jobs and putting in full-time effort to see if we can quadruple, if not grow it even more for that website. So that was June of 2010 when I quit my job at All Star and started working full-time focused on Zippy Cart. So you start off as a videographer, you stumble into SEO, you learn how to code. And what's the first thing you do once you know how to be an SEO? You become an affiliate marketer. Yeah. Okay. I see how you got there. (laughs) You start producing these affiliate revenue driven sites. You're using your development and your SEO skills to start to drive traffic and you're making enough money to hopefully pay the bills at some point here. You jump off the cliff and you leave your job and you're going to run it yourself. How did it go? In the first three weeks, I redesigned Zippy Cart entirely to have a better conversion funnel. So first I focused on the conversion funnel optimization, which grew our revenue by about 50%. 
But also in that first three weeks, I designed the first infographic I had ever designed. And that I didn't realize at the time was going to catapult me into the world I live in today. But I designed an absolutely horrific infographic. It's called The History of E-Commerce. I highly suggest you look it up. It's horrible. It's also in my book so people can see how bad it is. But I designed it for the SEO value entirely. In 2010, people were just talking about infographics. And holy cow, were they a good link play. The history of e-commerce infographic garnered 1,500 backlinks in the first two weeks. And the reason it did was because there wasn't yet an infographic on that topic. And you could put the word infographic on any piece of visual content and see success because everybody just wanted to find and share infographics. So it didn't matter at the time that it was so low quality. A couple of weeks later, I designed the second infographic for the site, which was an infographic that compared Google's PageRank to running for prom king basically explaining that the .gov and .edu websites that link into are like the popular people voting for you for prom king. And then the brand new .coms are like the band nerds voting for you for prom king. It's just not going to be the same value. And so I kind of went through an explanation of that. And by the way, I was vice president of marching band. So I'm allowed to say that the band nerds are a lower value vote. Me and my wife have this conversation all of the time. I was in drama. She was in band. We decide who's nerdier. <laughs> I think I win, but go on. Well, my joke is always I wasn't popular enough to be president of marching band. I could only be <laughs> VP. I was the best supporting actor, so I hear you. Right? There you go. So yeah, I made that infographic. And here was the coolest thing that happened to me. That page rank infographic, I was super proud of it. I thought it was just the best thing since sliced bread. I look at it now and it's not even an infographic. You have to read every little line to understand it. So it's not an infographic. But we pushed it out online and Rand Fishkin, who I had been following for years, I had seen him speak so many times at SMX, living in Seattle. I have, of course, followed the growth and evolution of SEO Moz and turned to Moz. Rand Fishkin responded to that infographic and just said, that's not an infographic. That's all he said. <laughs> and it crushed me. It completely crushed me because he was my hero. He was like the SEO God. It was him and Matt Cutts. Those were the two people who I would follow every single thing they would ever write and every vlog they would put out. In reality, you got something that was viewed by Rand Fishkin you got something out there enough to get his attention and to comment. You should feel pretty good about it, even if the comment's negative, but go on. No, you're so right. And, you know, at the time I was completely crushed by it. Bad infographic, good SEO. Exactly. And the thing is, is that was the goal of the infographic was the SEO value, but it did force me to reassess. It forced me to look at what makes a good infographic versus what makes a bad infographic. And that comment, that one comment sent me down a very long path of learning about visual communication, really understanding why certain types of content perform better online than others. And all I wanted to do at that point was really build an understanding of the science behind engagement and content marketing. So you get into affiliate marketing after having been an SEO, after having been a videographer, just to learn that you want to do infographics. Yep. 
and all types of visual storytelling, just to learn that it's the most powerful type of content marketing out there, in my opinion. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. All right. So before we go on and talk about your work with infographics, how did it end with ZippyCart and the parent company, which was Seven Figure Project? So that was a very slow pulling of the Band-Aid off, if you will. What ended up happening was around August of 2010, so we're only a couple of months into working full-time, my old business partner came to me and said, I thought of a really cool name, Killer Infographics. And guess what? The domain exists, so I bought it last night. Let's make a directory of infographics. So that was the entire plan was we were going to make something like what visually is today, a directory of infographics. And we immediately launched the site. We got it up same day. We started filling the site with infographics and reviewing those infographics, added motion graphics and reviewed those. Fast forward about six weeks to the end of September, and suddenly Blue Glass, a now defunct agency, but they were an SEO agency at the time, they reached out and said, we're not happy with the reviews you've given us for our infographics. So if you think you can do better, why don't you design our next set of infographics? And for me, that was a light bulb moment. I saw an opportunity to kind of pivot the entire business and really grow something more akin to an agency. It wasn't exactly the route my business partner wanted to go because he saw all of the issues with growing and running a service-based agency when we had already been over a year into a different business model. So I understand his logic there. So what we ended up doing was kind of running both for a while. And in the first six months of 2011, we basically kind of made an agreement that I would focus on Killer and he would focus on ZippyCart. And whichever one really succeeded after six months would be what we shifted all of our attention to. Then Google came out with, I don't remember if Penguin or Panda came out first, but 
the big algorithm update that just killed directories online. That was the spring of 2011. And Zippycart floundered. It was a content farm. Zippycart ended up being worth zip. Pretty much, yeah, it floundered. (laughs) Meanwhile, Killer had gone from doing about 14 orders in Q4 of 2010 to 40 orders a month at the very start of 2011. So it was just gangbusters. It was doing a great job. Blue Glass actually was our biggest customer until they went out of business six months into 2011. But luckily, we had been building up other customers at that point, and we shifted entirely. By 2012, we sold all of the other websites, didn't make much money off of it at all, but we just needed to get them to somebody else. We didn't want them to just die. So we sold the other websites and shifted 100% of our attention into Killer. And really, it was just kind of one of those things where I put so much of my time and effort into it because I loved it, because it was the combination of my two loves. I love marketing. I consider myself a marketer above a designer. Marketing is one of my absolute favorite professions, favorite things to continually evolve and learn about. Visual storytelling is a great tool for marketing. So... By the time we put our entire attention into Killer, I was suddenly realizing this is the culmination of everything I've done throughout my career. It is making motion graphics and video, as well as static art and content, but all of it with the focus on marketing a brand or service and really getting them in front of an audience. Your dad must be very proud because you finally found a way to monetize the creative skills that you originally went to school for. Oh, yeah. He's very proud. My dad is a salesman. I grew up with him driving all over the Midwest selling hydraulics and pneumatics, something that I still haven't fully wrapped my head around. I can't speak to hydraulics and pneumatics like he can, but he is an amazing salesman. And I was just telling him the other day, watching him on sales calls my whole life helped me learn how to treat a customer, helped me learn how to run and grow a service-based business. Because if you put the customer first and you really, truly care about their success, they're going to keep coming back because it's building a relationship, not just a transaction moment. So he's a huge part of why I am who I am today. You know, my dad was a retired orthopedic surgeon. So what can a marketer learn from an orthopedic surgeon? My dad didn't go to Harvard, you know, always kind of played down to pretend to be a dummy but he always had great bedside manner. He always made people feel comfortable and let him know that he was on their side and so they could have honest conversations about what needed to happen with their medical care. People really trusted him. And I think those skills are something that I have taken into my career, mostly as a consultant, making sure that people understand that, you know, you're on their side, even if the news isn't the best. Hard lessons to learn, hard skills to develop. So eventually you, you know, with a proud father, move on to running killer visuals, and it's grown significantly since you started. You were doing 40 orders a day, creating infographics for people. Tell us how the company has grown and what did you learn along the way? So killer used to be called killer infographics. We changed to killer visual strategies back in 2019. We started with just that focus on infographics. And honestly, at the time, I thought we're playing on a trend and this trend is going to die. So we maybe have a five-year runway to really build and capitalize off of this. 
I have since learned that infographics are just here to stay because today's audiences are so overwhelmed with so much content that it's really important to develop content that quickly hooks them. And it's important to lean into the fact that 91% of audiences prefer visual content as their first, second, and third form of information delivery. And 86% of audiences today prefer to learn visually versus textually or audibly. So infographics are just one piece of a much larger pie, and the pie is called visual communication. And so as we started to recognize the audience demand, we started to really evolve and grow as a company. We added services over the years, which is why we had to change our name. We really started to add a specialization around it. And because there are so many people out there producing really bad infographics and really bad pieces of visual content, I felt a need to start speaking to it at a much broader level. You took my next question away, which is the company grew, and then all of a sudden you become a really big deal and you become a speaker at some prominent conferences. You wrote a book, Killer Visual Strategies. What was the rationale and your decision to move beyond just the operator and the executive behind this growing agency to actually being someone with a personal brand speaking about your specific topic of marketing? It definitely wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't an intentional evolution. It started with Adobe Max. Adobe Max reached out to us in 2013 and asked if I'd be willing to do a presentation on infographic design. At the exact same time, the School of Visual Concepts, which is a school in Seattle, came to me and said, can you start teaching an all-day workshop on infographic design? And both of those requests, they came at the exact same time when I actually had time on my plate to develop these presentations. So since I had the time on my plate and since I really do love public speaking, I was a speech and debate nerd in high school. And a band nerd, double nerdery. Oh, yeah. I was in theater also, so triple nerdy. Oh my God, a minor in theater? I know. I think I lettered in band. <laughs> lettered in band and pocket protectors. Exactly. But yeah, I love public speaking. Absolutely love it. And Sesame had me do a little bit of public speaking. All Star had me do a little bit. So it just kind of seemed like a natural thing for me to jump in and do some public speaking. And really, we weren't sure what would come of it. But after I spoke at Adobe Max, we landed a few key Fortune 500 clients. Every time I spoke at the School of Visual Concepts, Microsoft and Amazon would have their employees there as students. So it gave us a great end to Microsoft and Amazon. And right then and there, I realized this is a good way to grow the company and market the company. Nobody else is out there talking about what visual communication is or how to do it correctly. Instead, you just have a whole bunch of disparate providers who have their own belief system on how to do this right, and a lot of really low quality content entering the marketplace as a result. I mean, at the time, you could spend anywhere from $100 to $10,000 for an infographic, just depending on who you chose. So part of me just really wanted to level the playing field. I wanted to make it very clear that there are really good players in the industry who work really hard to gain success for their clients. And then there are snake oil salesmen in the industry who are just kind of slapping stock images together and throwing text on it and charging an arm and leg for it. So part of it was really just getting best practices out there to educate. 
But the other thing was I noticed a disconnect between designers and marketers. And I had that disconnect when I was at All-Star. I would have to hire designers, freelance or agencies, and often wouldn't get the service I expected. They would often treat me like I didn't know what they were doing, even though I actually knew graphic design and I knew code. I had held previous jobs doing both of those things. So I would have to call them out on exorbitant quotes when I knew this is a half a day of work or something like that. And I just felt like marketers get taken advantage of a lot when they hire an agency that tries to play on their lack of knowledge or understanding of the craft. So I wanted to educate marketers. I wanted to empower marketers to find the right partners to create great content instead of what most marketers were doing and still some are at the time, which was developing really low quality content and then spending an arm and a leg promoting that content just to get eyes on it, just to get some ROI out of it. And I knew that with great visual content, you could get a 10x ROI when it's high quality in comparison to something that's low quality where you might just lose your shirt on it. So let's talk a little bit about where you are today. You go through this metamorphosis in your career and you come out as the killer visual strategies butterfly. And you've become a prominent speaker talking about visual communication. Tell me about what the agency you developed is like today. So I always knew that Killer needed a good partner to grow. I felt like Killer was such a reactionary agency. It wasn't what I had originally started out to create. It's something that we morphed into and pivoted into over time. I knew that I wasn't an agency person in the sense that I had never worked at an agency before. I was kind of learning as I went. I made plenty of mistakes in the process. And I felt like for Killer to get to the next level as a company, I need some guidance from some real agency founders, people who have created multiple agencies in their lives, people who have had a lot of success in the arena of building the right teams and building out the right payment model, et cetera. While Killer was doing great, I still felt like we could either spend the rest of our career as a lifestyle business doing under 10 million a year in revenue, or I could find the right partner and really excel the growth of this company. So in 2018, I took the company to market looking for that right partner. I found a unicorn, in my opinion. At the end of 2018, the company was fully sold to a group of companies headed up by Lieberman Research Worldwide, which had purchased a company called Kelton Global. And then Kelton was kind of above me. And they were out looking for a bunch of other companies so that we could basically deliver end-to-end services for clients. So that was at the end of 2018. 2019, we kind of went through the first phase of merging and, and working together. And that first phase is just getting to know each other, figuring out where there are some good fits, where there's overlaps, where there are opportunities to bring to our prospective clients. And then 2020 hit. And we started 2020 with this beautiful vision of taking all of the companies in the portfolio and building an insights-driven marketing agency where all of the services can really combine to start right at the conception of a product, service, or company and go all the way through to getting that company in front of a client, growing that company and building them for life. And I mean, material is a lot more than that, but that's the vision. We call the company material. It is a group of 1,200 of us. 
COVID kind of accelerated things for us. So we were going to slowly step into it over about a three-year period. And then COVID hit and we said, well, now we're all working remotely. We all have to communicate in different ways. And actually, we all started kind of working as one team naturally. So we launched material in the middle of the year last year. And while our individual agencies still exist, we still have our individual brands, we are slowly forming into material as a whole. So it's kind of an umbrella right now, but eventually the end all be all. It's just like getting to know your family a little closer. COVID made everybody go back home and sit in the same house all together and really get to know each other. And it did the same thing in your business as well. You're also writing the book, Killer Visual Strategies. Why'd you write the book? What's it about? Give us the lay of the land. I have always wanted to write this book. I started conceiving of the book back in 2013 or 2014, but I never had the time to write it. And basically what happened was in July of 2019, my publisher, Wiley Publishing, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to write a book. So suddenly I had somebody holding me accountable with a timeline and a contract. And that meant everything I had been writing over the years, I could compile and really write out the right narrative. The reason I wanted to write it is because it goes back to that idea of marketers and designers having a lot of disconnect. Designers don't necessarily know how to talk to marketers. A lot of freelance designers especially feel like they can't always hold their clients to goals and to a target audience. They instead feel like their job is to execute and not to bring any strategy to the mix. And in the same vein, a lot of marketers actually fear hiring designers because they're afraid of design ego. They're afraid of delays in service or scope creep. So I wanted to write a book that gave designers the language that they needed to talk to marketers and marketers a very clear guide on how to create the best content out there to really drive conversions, drive links, to really build their following and their own thought leadership, but also all the language that they needed to guide designers. So that's really why the book was written and who it's for. It's a thesaurus that translates marketing into design and vice versa. It's what it sounds like. Exactly. It was actually just listed as one of the best marketing books of 2020 by the Porchlight Book Awards. Ooh, and I'm sure it's got lots of pretty graphics for us marketers who don't like to read. Yep. We actually just won best book design of 2020 <laughs> by Graphic Design USA. So you had it in the bag the whole time. <laughs> Amy, last question I'm going to ask you as you look back on your career and you think of that recovering band geek who went to college and wants to be a videographer, but has to figure out how to pay the rent. What advice do you have for the creative types that want to go on and have a successful career in business while still satiating that creative itch? I think the first big thing to say is you're going to have to give up that belief that you can never have a nine to five. I think a lot of creative types want to avoid the nine to five, but if you really want to work in the business world, you have to work at the same hours of the business world. The other big thing is prioritize goals and audience over everything else. Oftentimes as creatives, we prioritize the creative process. We prioritize the creative output, our own aesthetic direction. And what we rarely think about is how this will work out in the world and what it's supposed to be doing. What is this content meant for? So creative types who want to succeed in business 
have to realize that sometimes the creative work isn't going to be as creative as you want it to be. But if it accomplishes the goals of your customer, then you've seen a great success. Get your ass out of bed and start thinking about the customers and not yourself. Amy, I think it's great advice. I appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about your background, your history, and how you've been able to be so successful basically creating the infographics industry. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Amy Balliette for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Amy, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send her a tweet. Her handle is Amy Balliette, A-M-Y-B-A-L-L-I-E-T-T. Or you could visit her company's website, which is KillerVisualStrategies.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, Head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish episodes every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.